The following audio is from City Rev Church. For more information about City Rev Church, visit us online at cityrev.org. Well, 10 years ago this week, the sports world and really the world was consumed by a phenomenon. It seemed like it was all anyone could talk about. It actually uh, wound up on the cover of Time Magazine. It was these, these first few weeks in February 2012 that Lynn Sanity happened. Now, if you are a sports fan um, or you were alive in 2012, you may remember hearing about a basketball player who at the time played uh, for a basketball team in New York that we're not going to mention. Um, his name was Jeremy Lynn. And uh, he was a, it, it, the story was incredible. It captured all of our, of our hearts and minds. He was an undrafted player out of Harvard, not known, that school's not known for cranking out NBA stars, but he was an undrafted player out of, out of Harvard, wound up uh, on the Knicks, um, had had just very little playing time, had done not much, in fact, um, he was sleeping on his friend's couch. He didn't even have a place to, to live in New York. And um, to put it like this, he woke up one day um, and he had played seven minutes in, the pre- in that uh, previous uh, night's game and scored two points. And his agent told him, hey, look, um, if you don't pull yourself together, I mean, and just make something happen, you might not have a job much longer. So like if you even see uh, playing time, You've got to give it all you've got. And so the night before, he had scored two points over seven minutes. The next night, he electrified the world. And he got put in. Carmelo Anthony was, uh, was injured. He got a little extra playing time. He got put in, and he said, okay, this is my moment. And he went crazy, over 20 points. He just Every shot he took seems like it went in. And then the next game, I mean, the next game, people were like, wow, is this guy for real? The next game, he did it again. And then the next game, he did it again. I mean, over 20 points in three games. It was incredible. But his true test had not come yet. See, he was about to face in game four. It was going to be February 10th, 2012. He had to square up against the Los Angeles Lakers and Kobe Bryant. Before the game, uh, they, they interviewed Kobe and said, um, hey, um, our, our, what are you going to do if Jeremy Lin does what he keeps doing? And he says, wait, what? What are you talking about? They said, you know, Jeremy Lin, I mean, all that's happening right now in New York, I mean, how, what's your game plan against that? He's like, look, I know who Jeremy Lin is, but I don't know what it is you're talking about. I, and he's expecting them to ask him about like his playing or the previous game, but then they push him out like, are you going to be guarding Jeremy Lin? And he just starts laughing. He had no idea what they were talking about. And by the end of that night, he wished he had prepared a little more. <laughs> it's such an incredible game against the Lakers. I think you should just see some highlights. Should you just see some highlights for yourself? Okay, check out this video. City, a sellout crowd at Madison Square Garden. And many to see the Cinderella story of Jeremy Lin, who has captivated the fans here at the world's most famous arena. Jeremy Lin told me a week ago, I was just fighting for my job. I didn't even know if I was going to have a roster spot. And now, Mike, he's the toast of New York. Line when he penetrates, Lin shot, knocks it down, a goal percentage. Lin will shoot again, knocks it down. This is what I like. I like this. Lin picks it up. Lin drives in and lays it in. Development. He'll get there quicker. Knocks it down and a foul. 
Tough turnaround shot. Gets to the goal. Lynn gets inside, flips it up, and in. A point game. Under three and a half. Lynn on the drive. Banks it to Lynn. Lynn fakes. Pull up jump shot. Knocks it down. Brown wants him. Puts up the two pointer. Puts it in. Lynn for three. Bang! Lynn on the drive. Gets inside. Banks it in. Wow! Unbelievable numbers starting last Saturday. It's all happened in less than a week. And he's hearing the MVP chance. The other factor in all of this, Mike, is that he's shooting over 58%. And the Knicks will win it. Linsanity continues here at Madison Square Garden as the undrafted point guard from Harvard electrifies MSG once again. Jeremy Lin went on to score 38 points against Kobe and the Lakers, and uh, it just seemed like he could not be stopped. It seemed like no one could stop him. He went on a seven-game run, averaging uh, after that, averaging over 20 points, including one of the most unbelievable game-winning shots. It's tied up at 87 against the Raptors, and he pulls up as time is going out, shoots the three. Wasn't even necessary. They needed one point. Shoots the three at the buzzer wins it I mean he cannot be stopped and they were saying nobody could stop Jeremy Lin but there was one more task they had to face and it proved that there was someone that could face and stop Jeremy Lin it was these guys who a few weeks later <laughs> I mean I'm just just reporting history here okay and with the Miami Heat dominating Jeremy Lin Lin sanity was over okay and man Think back those days, and I, I want to say, wow, those were the glory days of the Heat, but I can't say that because they're number one in the Eastern Conference, okay? The Miami Heat, still going strong. Anyway, I'm talking about Jerry, Jeremy Lin. I got distracted for a second. Uh, but it's an incredible story, and in that, se in that time, you know, he, he did come back down to earth after that season. He still had a solid uh, career and played for several different teams, um, had a solid career, and, but his influence, and even though it, he didn't have the fairy tale career that some were starting to think, you know, as they're shouting MVP in Madison Square Garden, okay, like, he didn't quite have the fairy tale career, he had a, a great career, but his, his influence was so much beyond his career. In fact, at one point, uh, Time Magazine listed him as a, is in the top 100 most influential people in the world. And his influence was because he was very outspoken on a number of things, on the importance of not just athleticism, but also academics. He's also very outspoken against injustices and stereotypes that tend to hold students and young athletes back and also very outspoken for his Christian faith. And so to this day, 10 years later, his influence is far beyond probably what he ever could have imagined in his wildest dreams. And I bring this up as kind of a case study for us today about a story of, of a type of success that is greater than we, we often can think about or imagine. And there's so much in this story uh, about this particular basketball player that, that I, I want to draw out. It's things not only about success, it's, it's questions about career, it's questions about excellence, it's questions about hard work, it's questions about influence. There's so much that kind of come together in this case study, and those are all of the things that honestly we think about, right? Those are the questions we think about. When we wake up on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, 
We ask those questions about career and influence and hard work and excellence and all these kinds of things. We ask those questions. And here's what we often as Christians underestimate how much God cares about that and speaks about that. And how much God's in that. And so I want to, to show you a, a biblical case study uh, this morning as well. We're in a series called City Changers. And the question for us today is if God has called us as a church, that's, that's together, us, as a church family, if he's called us to give ourselves to not just build a church, but to see a city transform. If that's what we're to give ourselves to, and to be part of a work among the South Florida church, to go out there and see our, our church, our city uh, transformed. If we're to give ourselves to that, let's connect the dots, because here's what we know. That's not chiefly going to happen if we all get together for a service project one Saturday. That's not how that happens. It doesn't happen when a few hundred of us come and, and do a, a project to serve the city. That's important. That's a part of it. There are sometimes these potent works that we can jump in and meet a need, but those are not the things that change the city. It's not the centralized things that we do together. Here is how the city has changed. It's when believers not only believe that the Father sent the Son to save them for all eternity, but believers also believe in the Holy Spirit empowering their life every single day. And when they go into their place of work where God has sent them every day, watching for how God wants to use them in a multitude of ways, and if believers throughout a city believe that, those efforts every day turn a city upside down by the power of the gospel. We've been talking about this through the series, and I want to jump into another passage today. Open with me to Genesis chapter 39. Genesis chapter 39. Genesis, if you have a Bible or Bible app, go ahead and open there. Genesis is the first book of the Bible, and we are picking it up um, in, in, in the midst of a story towards the beginning, but not the very beginning, of a story of a guy named Joseph. This is Joseph of the, uh, of the Old Testament, and we're jumping into his story, Genesis 39, starting in verse 1. Now Joseph had been brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, had bought him from the Ishmaelites who had brought him down there. Okay. We're going to pause there and just get our bearings. Joseph was one of the sons of a guy named uh, Jacob, who was renamed Israel. And Joseph was not the oldest son, but definitely, clearly, very obviously the favorite. He was the one it looked like was being groomed to take over everything from his father, which made all of his older brothers very, very jealous of him. In fact, he got a special robe that he wore just as a very outward sign of the favor that was on him. And uh, he, he was still a boy. And his brothers, what they decided to do is they didn't like him, they didn't want him around, and so they decided to, to sell him into slavery. So they're out in the field, Joseph went to check on him, and there was a, a, a group, a caravan coming by. They stopped the caravan, and they said, Here, how about you take this boy? We will sell him to you as a slave. And they sold his, their younger brother into slavery for 20 pieces of silver. 
They stripped his robe off of him, this special robe of favor um, that just kind of showed that he was in a special position in the family. They dipped the robe in blood, and then they showed it to their father and said, oh, he must have gotten killed by a wild animal. We, we found this. And they lied to, to um, his father. He's now on his way down to Egypt. Obviously, all of his plans, his expectations of life, this could not have been a, a crazier twist in his life. This was not at all in his wildest dreams something this terrible would happen. He finds himself in Egypt, in a foreign land. Okay, two things so far from verse 1 you need to know. Number one, Joseph is a boy in Egypt, sold into slavery, does not have his freedom, is not like he, he's not like a young kid dreaming about what he wants to do with his life. He's not, no one's coming up to him saying, Joseph, what do you want to do when you, when you grow up? He's lost his freedom. He's lost his prospects. He does not have a good job. He has a terrible job. He has a young boy as a slave in Egypt. He's, he's probably what he, his, the labor he has to do would probably be by our, by our standards inhumane. He probably has a terrible, horrible, nasty, disgusting job. And that's where he finds himself. At the same time, I want you to take a look at where he is because it's just kind of this little hint about some things to come. He finds himself in Egypt, presumably in the capital, which is the most influential empire in the world at the time. He works for a guy by the name of Potiphar, which is the captain of the guard. Now, I want you to imagine, as a king, you really have to trust that person. Most coups happen by military leaders, right? Or many of them do. Why? Because they have influence over all the firepower, over all of the, the warriors. This guy, Potiphar, would have been very, very close to Pharaoh, would have been very trusted by Pharaoh. And so Joseph finds himself in the most influential part of the world under working for one of the most influential people in the world. Okay, now let's pick it up in verse 2, and let's see what happened next, because this is, is a pretty rough situation. The Lord was with Joseph. We could stop right there and just spend our whole time right there. Because it doesn't matter where you find yourself. It doesn't matter what dreams have been crushed. It doesn't matter how unfamiliar the territory. It doesn't matter what, how terrible the, the season of life you're in, how terrible your job is. It doesn't matter if you're all alone. You just need this, right? The Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man. And he was in the house of his Egyptian master. His master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. Pause there with me. I want you to see that very specifically it says that Joseph is having success. He goes to work. He says, okay, this is what I've got. I'm going to do the best I can. And he starts with whatever terrible job he's given, and he does it well. And people start to take notice. And he gets a better job, and he does that, does the best as he can, and, he, and it goes well, and he has success with everything he does to the point where eventually Potiphar himself notices Joseph. He's having success. He's having such success, and this is very important. He's having such success that it was clear even to the world around him who did not worship his God, 
it was clear that his success was so noteworthy that it was from God. Did you see that? In multiple ways, this passage is super clear. God caused Joseph's success. God did. God caused the success. Now, this is so far uh, the story is starting to turn around, but I just want to pause for a second, and I want you to look very closely at the two, um, at the, the specific term that's being used. Um, he's, when we're last here, Joseph described before this passage, he's described in Hebrew as a yeled, that's a boy. Here it says he becomes a successful man. The Hebrew word is ish. He's, he has now grown from a boy into a man. It's easy for us to see verse 1 and verse 2 as being like, like about two weeks or three weeks in between them. There's an economy, an economy of words that the scripture uses. The, word, the scripture sometimes, it's squeezing an entire life story in some few very short chapters. There's a cue there to note it was not a short distance from chapter 1 to chapter 2. A long time. Years. Many years where he's doing a job that he does not like. He hates, can't imagine he's doing it is demoralized, broken, and alone, wondering where God is, but yet still trying to be faithful with what he's got. It's a matter of years that this happened, maybe a decade, a long time, maybe more than a decade, a long time before he gets to this place. Okay, let's keep going. I wanna, we're going to read a few more verses and then pause. Let's pick it up in verse 4. So Joseph found favor in his sight. That's Potiphar. Joseph found favor in his sight and attended him, and he made him overseer of his house and put him in charge of all that he had. From the time that he made him overseer in his house and over all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. The blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in house and field. So he left all that he had in Joseph's charge, and because of him, he had no concern about anything but the food that he ate. Do you see this? Potiphar can't deny. He's like, man, okay, Joseph was in charge of this, and it went amazing. Okay, let's give him this. That went amazing. Okay, put him over this. That went amazing. And eventually he got to the place like, why am I doing anything anymore? He put, he put Joseph over everything. He's like, I'm just going to go look at the lunch menu. You just make all these decisions because it's so clear that everything you're doing, there is divine favor on you. Like God is causing all of it to succeed. Do you see this? It was to such a degree, to such a degree that Potiphar couldn't even deny it. He just keeps getting promoted until he's at the place where he is uh, overseeing all of it. Now, um, we're going to pause there in the chapter. The rest of the chapter gets very interesting, and we're going to revisit that um, at some point in the series. But um, we're going to pause there in the chapter. Let me just tell you the rest of Joseph's story, because if this was the end, we'd be like, wow, that's incredible. I mean, that'd be an incredible story. I mean, this is unbelievable. Like, he was, he was rising through his father's house, you know, way out in the, in, the, in the country at the time, and then all of a sudden he gets brought into the city as a slave, and he slowly, God just puts favor on him. Now he's the most influential person in the house of one of the most influential persons in, one of the, in the most influential empire in the world. Like, what an incredible story. Well, we don't make it out of the chapter before Joseph finds himself 
in a dungeon, having not done anything wrong, being falsely accused, he finds himself in a dungeon. Well, that's another crazy twist that I'm sure he never in his wildest dreams imagined. I mean, he's probably having success he didn't imagine, and he's also having lows in the valley like he never imagined. And he finds himself there in the dungeon, and what does it say he does? It says the Lord is with him. And he keeps starting to get promoted in the dungeon. How do you get promoted in a dungeon? I don't even know. Like, what does that look like? He's chained to a wall, and it's like, man, Joseph's being quiet. Well, I didn't want to shake the chains too much because Ned over there was trying to sleep in his chains. Like, I don't know. What does excellence in a dungeon look like? I don't even know what that is, okay? But he's faithful in that moment. He's faithful there in the dungeon, and eventually he finds himself overseeing the dungeon. And while he's in the dungeon, and I'm sure he's like, wow, this is so exciting. You know, wow, I can't believe I get to oversee a dungeon, okay? Maybe not the most exciting. But what happens is two people who serve very closely to, to Pharaoh himself end up in the dungeon. And they're trying to figure out someone did something very bad. It was either the baker or it was the cupbearer. Someone did something very, very bad. Probably sounds like someone got poisoned. They're trying to figure out who it was. And they have dreams. And they're struggling with their dreams. And they come and tell Joseph. And Joseph says, well, maybe God will give me the interpretation for your dream. And he gives them an interpretation. And sure enough, his interpretation comes true. It was apparently the baker was the bad guy. He gets executed. Cupbearer comes up to the right hand of and serving Pharaoh again. And Joseph says, hey, please remember me when you're standing before Pharaoh. Maybe I could do something a little better than overseeing a dungeon. And the cupbearer's like, absolutely. And then forgets for two years. And then Pharaoh has a dream troubling dream. He says, man, who, I wish I just knew someone that could interpret a dream. And all of a sudden, the cupbearer's like, oh yeah, there's a guy in the dungeon. So they clean up Joseph. They get the dungeon smell out of his clothes. And he comes in before Pharaoh himself. Remember, they think Pharaoh's a god. He stands before Pharaoh, and Pharaoh's like, I hear you can interpret dreams. Can you? I mean, talk about having the ball with time going out. I mean, this is a clutch moment. I mean, you got to make it happen. This is your one shot, Joseph, okay? This is the only shot you've got, and he's standing there before Pharaoh. I mean, these are the big leagues now. He's standing there before Pharaoh, and Pharaoh says, can you interpret dreams? And Joseph says, no. But God might give me the interpretation. Tell me your, your dream. Joseph interprets the dream. Pharaoh now raises him up to be his right-hand man. He's now at the right hand of the most powerful man, one of the most powerful men in history. And he oversees the administration of the, the empire, saves the surrounding region from seven years of terrible famine. God uses Joseph to save countless lives Thousands, probably hundreds of thousands of lives were spared because of how God used Joseph. A crazy adventure story. Now you say, well, that's great. That's great for Joseph. And you know what? I know that stories like that happen like in the Bible. And I know that like there's a couple times throughout history that there's such incredible stories that God's like, we should probably preserve this for all of history in the Bible so you can read it. 
But how does that apply to me? Because that's, I don't really foresee that happening in my life. I don't see anything like that. Like, that's a great story. It's inspiring. But in what way is that story a paradigm? Like, how does that story actually, what is it from the structure of that story that applies to me? And in fact, this, of, of all of the Old Testament characters, it's the characters like Joseph that most align with our lives. And let me tell you why. Because there's a handful of these characters that are not living in, in Israel where it's both a theocracy and it's both, both a, a people of God and a nation in one, led by God under the direct ruling of, all, of the Almighty. That's hard for us to relate to. There are a handful of characters that know what it's like to live in a society that's lost. It's Joseph in Egypt. It's Esther in Persia, Nehemiah in Persia, Naaman in Syria, Daniel in Babylon and Persia. These individuals are love God and find themselves in a, in a society around them that doesn't always and usually doesn't reflect the principles of God. And so when we see characters like that, we've got to lean in on those characters because we can relate to them. And here's one of the things that's so consistent about these characters is that along the way, if you think about this, Nehemiah and Esther and Daniel and several of these characters, as you think about them, God placed them in societies, in cities, in positions of influence, and then empowered them to live out their day-to-day -day life with excellence and then took them on an adventure that used them in ways they could not possibly have imagined. I mean, this was the story of, of Daniel. Daniel found himself, very similar to Joseph, a young man in, in Nebuchadnezzar's court. He was living in Jerusalem when he grew up. Now he finds himself living in Babylon, in, living in the courts of Nebuchadnezzar, most powerful man in the world trained like them, indoctrinated with, with their things, but he's holding fast to God. And very, very little by little, God is empowering him, and they can't deny that there's excellence in Daniel's life, and they can't deny that God is using him. And so he gets promoted and promoted and promoted, and he gets promoted to overseeing much of the Babylonian empire. He's even there when the Persians come in, and the Persians conquer a brand new empire, and now he's got a brand new king. And listen to what it says. Let me just read you these verses out of Daniel. I want you to see this is not just an isolated instance with Joseph. Listen to what it says in Daniel chapter 6. It pleased Darius, that's the new Persian king, it pleased Darius to set over the, over the kingdom 120 satraps to be throughout the whole kingdom, and over them three high officials, of whom Daniel was one, to whom these satraps should give account, so that the king might suffer no loss. Then this Daniel became distinguished above all the other high officials and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him, and the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Once again, if we kept reading in that chapter, you'd see God took him on a crazy adventure. But here's what I want you to see. There's something consistent that God does with his people through this story. Um, this, in this series on City Changers, we've been talking about a couple things. Week one, we talked about this idea of incarnation. 
We said we as God's people are to be the, wherever we go, whatever meeting we go in, whatever friend group we're in, whatever we post on social media, whatever, whatever office we go into, wherever we go, we are to be the presence of Jesus. And we imagine together, what if every Christian in South Florida every day took that calling, that calling to be the incarnation, the presence of Jesus in their sphere? What if every Christian took that seriously and did that every day? Just showed love to every person God brought across their path. That alone would change our city, just that. But there's so much more he has for us. Last week, we talked about the idea of innovation. We talked about how we are made in the image of God, and, and God is a creator, and so he's making us. He put Adam before sin in a garden to cultivate the garden. And so as we create to, as a worship to God, as we worshipfully create, as we go to work every day and innovate creatively, God uses that, and we imagine together, man, what if every Christian took this seriously here in our city and was saying, my work is actually worship. God cares not just about the things that I do on Sunday. He cares what I do on Monday. He cares about these things. What if I did it for the Lord? Uh, Colossians 3.23, work as if everything is done for the Lord, not men. What if I looked as if my manager, my boss, the owner, the shareholders, what if I worked as if I reported to God as if he owned everything? Because he does. What if I did everything like it was for him? And we imagined, I mean, I mean, this is what um, one of my favorite commentators is a pastor named Kent Hughes. Here's what he said. He said, there is no secular sacred distinction for all honest work done for the Lord is sacred. All work is sacramental in nature, be it checking groceries, selling futures, cleaning teeth, driving a street sweeper, teaching or painting trim. What if every Christian went to work imagining, man, I am going to be in your image worshiping you, God, with everything I do. And we thought about, can you imagine the innovations from Christians in medicine, Christians in technology, Christians in law enforcement, Christians in education, all across the board? Can you imagine? I mean, that alone would transform our city. And so here's what we see today. We've got incarnation got innovation. By the way, all of them are going to start with I. I'm just going to get it out of the way and tell you, okay? They're all going to start with I. But here's what we see from, from Joseph. He was industrious. Everything he did, he said, okay, God, you put this in front of me. You brought me here. I'm going to work hard, and I'm going to look for you to empower me with the spirit of excellence. I want you to think of it like this. Can you imagine if every Christian, if everyone, just, just our church, City Rev, if every believer actually believed that just like the Holy Spirit empowered Joseph in his everyday administration, and the Holy Spirit empowered Daniel in how he did his job every day, what if every believer actually believed that when they went to work tomorrow, the Holy Spirit was empowering you to do your job 
with all of your heart and with excellence? What if you believed that it wasn't just where, that the Holy Spirit didn't just show up and empower you when you serve at your church on Sunday, but he empowered, he empowered you, he filled you, he was behind you, he was in you, he was working through you, he's bringing about excellence when you go to work tomorrow, when you're writing emails, when you're sitting in emails, when you're, when you're sitting in, in meetings, when you're, when you're coming up with strategy. What if you believe that the Holy Spirit was empowering that just like Joseph and Daniel and all of these characters through, through, the, uh, through the scripture? What if you actually believe that? What might he do through your efforts day by day, moment by moment? Well, I want to give you a couple things. Let's work this out. I want to give you a couple things to think about. Here's the first one. If we're going to commit ourselves to that, here's the first one I want you to think. Keep working hard in the low moments. Keep working hard in the low moments. I'm going to just assume that if we're working for the Lord and not for men, that a strong work ethic is implied for every believer. There should be no reason for a lazy believer. Well, you don't know my boss. Actually, I do. It's the Lord. What if there's no reason for a lazy Christian? So I'm going to assume that's not the case. I mean, think of what Proverbs says. Proverbs describes it like this. Go to the ant, O sluggard. And it says, watch them. Have you noticed? Every single one of them have drive. Have you ever noticed an anthill? There's not like a little cluster hanging out by the water cooler just like wasting time. <laughs> it's like they all have a built-in drive that they're going to make it happen and get it done. If you manage people, you know that those are the most valuable people on your team. They're not the people you have to keep kind of pushing for. Come on, go get, get moving. They have an inner drive to work hard and bring about excellence. Christian, you have more reason than anyone alive to have an inner drive every single day because you work for the Lord and your career is in his hands. And so we should be driving. And by the way, when we talk about having a strong work ethic and working hard, we're not talking about workaholism. Work is worship no matter what you believe. If you worship your career, your work will worship that idol. If you, if you worship fame, if you worship money, your work is worship to that idol. But if you're, wor if you're worshiping God and your work is worshiping God, then also when God says to work, you give him everything you've got and you also honor God's prescribed rhythms of rest. Because if you're truly working for worship of God, you know it's in his hands. You don't have to make it happen so you have an appropriate rhythm of rest. But we'll assume that we as believers have a strong work ethic so then the question is, but here's where we get hung up. Where we get bogged down, we get discouraged is in the low moments. It's the first day on the job when you've just been betrayed by your brothers and find yourself in a foreign land doing a terrible job you never thought you'd be doing. It's your first day in the dungeon. That's when what Jesus says, be faithful in the small things. Be faithful. Because he's got a plan he's going to be working out. Keep working hard in the small things. The way that God arranges things is he gives you time with the small things to be faithful with it because it's an act 
of faith that your career is in his hands. Here's the second thing. Keep working hard in the low moments. Second one is this. God causes and uses excellence. You cannot read Genesis 39 and think that Joseph had any reason to beat his chest and say, well, I mean, I've been successful because I've been, I've been smart. I've worked hard. When other people did this, I did this. I just, you know, if they had my perspective, they'd be smart too. If you look, if you just do what I do, in fact, if you'd like for me to coach you, I will because if I do X, Y, and Z, this is how you get successful. It's been, you know, it's my education, it's my experience, it's my God-given talent. You know, it's, that's what's made it for me to be successful. The scripture is clear. God caused the success in Joseph's life. God causes and uses excellence. That's what he does. It's caused by God and used by God. He's the one that causes it. If you have excellence in your life, give glory to God. And then know that he wants to use it. Listen to this proverb. It's, um, I have to find it. Where did it go? Proverbs chapter 22, verse 29 says this. Do you see a man skillful in his work? He will stand before kings. He will not stand before obscure men. He wants to, he's going to inspire that excellence, and then he's going to use that excellence. I love how Pastor John Piper put it like this. He says this, when God sends us forth to work as his image bearers, our ditches are to be dug straight. Our pipe fittings are not to leak. Our cabinet corners should be flush. Our surgical incisions should be clean. Our word processing accurate and appealing. And our meals nutritious and attractive. Because God is a God of order and beauty and competence. Everything we do, you're, he says, you are my image. You're, you're the presence of Jesus. Christian, have you ever come across another Christian in your workplace? And because of their lack of effort, lack of work ethic, or lack of excellence, you witness how that does not bring glory to God. Our excellence, he wants to, he's empowering it, he's causing it, and he's going to use it. So we want to give ourselves to excellence for his glory. Here's the third thing. Run to the cities. Run to the city. I want you to notice that the, the pattern with each of these characters, whether it is Joseph in Egypt, whether it's Daniel in Babylon and Persia, Esther in Persia, Nehemiah in Persia, I want you to see that each of these individuals are in places of influence. God brought them to places of influence. Even when they did not want to go, God brought them to cities of influence. In fact, this was the pattern of the very first Christians when they went out. Trace Apostle Paul's journey. He went from city to city to city. He went to the cities of influence and preached the gospel there. Some of you find yourself in South Florida. You got assigned here. This is not where you would have chosen, but you find yourself here in South Florida. If you've been sent here to a city that influences this region of the globe, be watching how God wants to use you to influence because he's brought you to a center of influence. Those of you who are quick to want to leave South Florida, first of all, go where God calls you. But that's the question. The question is, God, where are you calling me? Not, God, 
where, where, what's the most comfortable place for me and my family? It's not, God, where's the best cost of living for me and my family? It's, God, where are you calling me? And while you go there, be watching for how God wants to use you for, for, use you for influence. Christian, imagine, uh, what if every, the cities are the centers of influence. You see it in scripture. God is aware of that. He uses that. He does not work outside that paradigm. He works within that paradigm. What would happen if every Christian abandoned the cities? What would happen to our culture? Young adult, dreaming about where God might send you, pray that he sends you to a place of influence so that you can go there and be empowered to influence an influential place. Here's the last thing I want you to think about. Success is by God and for God. Success is by God and for God. Joseph did not have the fairy tale career. He had an adventuresome career. And adventures are far better than fairy tales. And he had not the career that he wanted, but he had influence that is beyond what he could dream. If God, success is by God and it is for God, and if we lose track of either of those two, bad things happen. If we think success is by us, usually that thought, if we think we earned our own success, caused our own success, it's that thought that usually is right before a fall. It's by God, and it's for God. Your success is not first and foremost for you. It's not first and foremost. It's sometimes we as Christians say, I'm going to do the right thing so he'll bless me in my career. There's nothing left to bargain with God. You have nothing to bargain with him. He's already given you everything. He gave his son Jesus to die on a cross to pay for your sins. He's given you salvation and an eternity in heaven and his presence and a relationship with him forever. You have no bargaining chips. Your only play back to God is to give him everything. Your career is not for you. It's for God. And if you know that, you can navigate the adventure because it's not going to be a fairy tale. You can navigate the ups. Oh, this is for you, God. How do you want me to use it? And the lows. Okay, God, you got something new, and I'm ready, and I'm going to get back to work. You can navigate, and you're ready for the adventure when you know your career and your success is by God, and it is for God. And by the way, that reorients your worship to not worship yourself in your career, but to worship God. And that is the path. Worshiping God at the center of your life is the path to the most abundant, joyful, contented life that you can imagine. Now, maybe you're, you're thinking about that. Yeah, but doesn't the, the, the Bible say things like, you know, he knows the plans he has for us, plans that's going to give us a, a hope and a future. There's that passage in Jeremiah uh, chapter 29, 11. He says, I know the plans I have for you, plans to give you a hope and a future. It, it's for your good, these plans. And that is a verse to cling to. But I want you to hear the verse right before that in verse 29, 7. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. He says, I know the plans I have for you. I've placed you in a city and I want you to give your life to seeking the shalom, the holistic thriving of that city. And just like Joseph in Potiphar's house as we're sprinkled throughout the city, 
He's going to bless our city as he blesses the works of your hands in whatever sphere that you're in. Christian, can you imagine with me? What if every Christian, what if every, think about this. What if every Christian had a heart that said, I'm not going to abandon the places of influence. I'm going to run to the city. I'm going to see all of my career as being for God and whatever his purposes are. I'm going to every day, no matter what's in front of me, I'm going to work for the Lord. So I'm going to work hard even in the low moments. And I'm going to wait in anticipation that the Holy Spirit's going to empower me for excellence and he wants to use that. Imagine if every Christian did that in their sphere. I think that bring about, just that alone would bring about the transformation of a city. But he has so much more for us. Here, here's the, the crossroads that some of us are on. I'm going to close with this. Some of us have an idea of Jesus as a savior. And religiously, we'd align with Jesus. But salvation comes from making Jesus our savior and our Lord. In other words, it's making Jesus our king. That's what that means. You make him the king over your life. That means you no longer live to build your own kingdom. You're living for his kingdom, for King Jesus. And so I believe that there are some of you that have an idea of what Jesus has done for you. And maybe you're like, yeah, I appreciate that Jesus did that, but I'm kind of living my life and trying not to do anything that would, you know, make him mad. Now surrender it all, all to Jesus. Make him your king. You say, like, I hear this story, but I, I just, this is, these are isolated stories in the Bible. No, all of these stories point to another story. This, the book is not about Joseph's story and Daniel's story. They all point to another story, Jesus. Here was Jesus' story. He was sent to earth. And those who were supposed to be his brothers sold him for 30 pieces of silver. And instead of being crowned king, He's crowned with a crown of thorns and whipped and beaten and bloodied. And they put a, a mock robe on him, which would have been drenched in his blood, mocking as if he was some figure of favor. And he died on the cross to pay for our sins. He went lower than any human could imagine. He took the penalty and the wrath of God for us. And on the third day, he rose back from the grave, defeating sin and death itself. And in Revelation 19, it describes him as a conquering warrior returning back to earth for us with many crowns on his head, and it describes his robe as a robe dipped in blood. That is who your Savior is. That is who he is. That is his faithfulness and his steadfastness. That is why we serve him as our king. That's why he's worthy of giving all of your surrender and your allegiance. That's why it's worthy, believer, to go to work and give all you've got for your king tomorrow because that's who your king is. For some of you, you may say, look, I probably would have considered myself a Christian when I came in because I know about Jesus, but if I'm honest, I'm the king of my life. Jesus is not the king, and I'm going to make him the king of my life today. I want to lead you in that moment. Would you take a moment and just bow your head and close your eyes? I wonder if there's anyone here today or sitting at Cooper City 
maybe watching at home, and you today just say, if I'm honest, I've been kind of religiously a Christian, but I've never really, it's not been more than that. I've never made Jesus my king, and I'm going to give it all to him, my career, my job, every day. I'm going to surrender it over to Jesus and make him my king today. I wonder if there's anyone who's ready to take that step. And if that's you, I'm going to lead you in a simple prayer to make Jesus your king today. Find salvation. So if that's you, I want you to do a, a tangible moment so that you'll remember this. And with no one looking around, whether at Cooper City or here, even at home, with no one looking around, if you want to take that step, if you want to make Jesus your king, if you want to walk out of here knowing for sure you have found salvation, you've been reconciled to God by the work of Jesus, if you want to make Jesus your king today, here's what I want to ask you to do. Just with no one looking around, I want you just to slip your hand in the air and then put it down. And I'm going to lead you in a prayer. Praise God. Anybody else, you say, today's the day I'm making Jesus my king. Remember this day. Turn a corner this day. Make today a new day. Praise God. Amen. Let me lead you in this prayer. Silently right there, I want you to pray this to King Jesus. Say, Jesus, I make you my king. I surrender every day to you. Lord, I'm going to need your help, but I thank you for your grace. Thank you that my sins are already paid for and that you saved me. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, church, there were people that put their faith in Jesus and made him their king for the first time today. Can we celebrate that with them? Amen. So glad you took that step. If that was your step, here's what I want you to do. After this service, if you're here in person, I want you to go to that front lobby and go to the guest services place. They've got a Bible for you. And just stop there on your way out and just say, hey, I, I made Jesus my king today. Can I have a Bible? They want to just give you a Bible. Um, if you're watching online, you can go to cityrev.org faith. We'll mail you a Bible. If you can't make it to guest services, you can check that off on your Get Connected card and put that in one of the giving boxes on your way out. We want to just celebrate with you this decision that you've made. Church, as we, uh, as we leave today, we're going to turn our minds to the Lord. We may have been thinking about the week all day uh, today, this morning, and thinking about how we're going to dig in and be faithful before the Lord. But what drives us to be faithful with our lives is when we set our minds on the things above, and we're going to set our minds on Jesus and His steadfastness today. So would you stand with me as we close with this song? Thanks for listening. For more resources and to check out other teaching series, please visit our website at cityrev.org. If you would like to speak to somebody about beginning a relationship with Jesus or ask any questions you have about this teaching, you can email us at podcast at cityrev.org.